0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Our Drunken History with Zach and Travis. Today, we are going to be talking about a city that Trav and I both have lived in twice. (laughs) We we uh, we liked it so much, we went back for a second time. For sure, uh, second helpings on that. That's right. right. We're talking about uh, good old Sin City, the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada.
1: On the aviators after Howard Hughes, which I believe you have. Alright, so do we want to go into the Howard Hughes spiel real quick on this? Yeah, Yeah. Uh, so talking about the Las Vegas aviators. So, so the aviators, if if people don't know, uh, one of the big uh, prominent figures in Las Vegas history was uh, Howard Hughes. And if you know anything, so Zach and I both were in the Air Force. We were both... Aviation history buffs. We're, boy, we boy, both love aircraft and anything to do with aircraft. Yeah, we're it, aviation nerds. Aviation nerds and history. Howard Hughes was like the uh, the godfather of a lot of aviation history, and he uh, pioneered. So, some of you don't know Howard Hughes, which this is actually a really nerdy fact or statistic. Howard Hughes invented the flush mount rivet. So I did not know that. So. If Seriously, it, if anybody of you ever seen like uh, building any kind of structure out of sheet metal, and you have rivets and you're riveting the yeah. sheet metal together, you it's like a dome structure on yeah. each side of the sheet metal. Well, Howard Hughes at some at, at one point in his aviation engineering career uh, was trying to set speed records. He was wanting to build aircraft to make, go faster and, and higher and, and all that, and you realize if you sand those domed rivets flush with the skin of the aircraft, you, you reduce less drag, a yeah. lot, lot less drag, because you think an aircraft and a rivet every three inches on an aircraft skin, you know you've got thousands of rivets on an aircraft. Well, if you sand all those smooth, where those rivets are smoothed with the aircraft skin, you've reduced like a third of the drag yeah. on the aircraft. So the aircraft gets a lot faster, a lot more efficient, a lot less fuel. And you're getting to your destination faster. So he pioneered the flush mount rivet on, uh, uh, for sheet metal on aircraft.
0: It's incredible.
1: Yeah. So if you so if you look at aircraft from like say the World War II era and you do a zoom in picture of the sheet metal panels, yeah, you can see all the circle rivets sticking out of the skin. And then you look at like a, a jet aircraft from the nineteen fifties, even though it's pr- a primitive jet aircraft from the fifties era, smooth, super smooth. Super smooth. And then he was part of that where they they thought of doing the smooth mount, flush mount, countersunk rivets job, on job. sheet metal. So. But, so that's a that's a whole other rabbit hole. So, aside from the aviation genius that Howard Hughes was, uh, part of that was he was thought to be kind of crazy in his later years, or they called him eccentric. We talked about that later on in the later years. Rich people are eccentric and poor people are crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, he was eccentric. Uh, <laughs> so, he... Some of the decisions, so there, there's a lot of controversy depending on uh, who you talk to about his latter part of his career in aviation. And uh, he founded TWA Airlines, Transworld I Airlines. I did not know that either. Uh, so he he made some decisions, and, and the airline at the time was not making very much money, but he put forth a ton of money and a ton of investment and to jet aircraft in TWA. Back then it was prop or propeller ju- driven aircraft. Yeah. He was trying to push the, the civilian aircraft transport era into jet aircraft. Yeah. The air, jets are super expensive. And uh, so at the time, so TWA, it was a publicly traded company. Uh they felt, whoever the experts were that was on the board of directors of TWA, felt like Howard Hughes was making poor decisions for the company. So they voted to oust him as the uh, the head of the company. So they they filed a lawsuit basically against Howard Hughes, and they uh, they said he had to step down as the CEO, and by stepping down, he would sell his majority ownership of TWA Airlines well so at the time so that was another thing I thought was interesting Howard Hughes was written the at the time the largest personal check ever written to an an individual in American history and it was like a little over 250 million dollars of a check that they wrote TWA wrote Howard Hughes for his portion of the company. So this is in the early I think this is 1960, 1961. Yeah. So I think uh inflation wise that's like eight hundred million dollars, something like that nowadays compared to so they wrote him a check for 250 million dollars and told him to, to go away. And he's like, Alright, so So then he was an investor, he's a he's a business guy, and at the time US tax law. I think it still is now. If you don't reinvest that money from stock within a certain amount of time, you have to count that as income. Yeah. He was trying to avoid those income taxes off of a $250 million check. Well, yeah, so he too. was looking for for investments to invest that money into. Well, uh, at the time, let me look this up real quick. Uh, there was a guy that was like the coordinator of Las Vegas and uh, yeah Hank Greenspun he was the founder of uh, the Las Vegas Sun, of the newspaper yeah um, he he knew Howard Hughes kind of on a social level at the time and basically convinced him to move to Las Vegas and to invest his money in Las Vegas so at the, so okay, so if you want to rewind just a little bit, so prior to all this stuff happening, Howard Hughes was in a pretty bad plane accident, and he had built this experimental aircraft, and uh, he was he was the pilot of the aircraft, and it crashed, and uh, he got pretty bad injured in this in this crash, and uh, he was basically had chronic pain from this. Aircraft crash, and so his doctors basically had prescribed him opiates for this crash. Yeah, and uh, with the VA, kind of pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. So he was. So there's a lot of, uh, of talk about how he was crazy at the, toward the end of his life and uh, very eccentric, and he was a little bit off. He was uh, he was OCD, which now at the time. It's pretty. It's kind of normal to be diagnosed with OCD at the time. It wasn't, uh, but they think that the opiates and the painkillers he was on kind of accentuated the OCD tendencies that yeah. he had. Um, but so basically, uh, the uh, Greenspan uh, convinced Howard Hughes to move to Vegas and invest his money in Vegas. So, going back to the Desert Inn, one of the first resorts on the Las Vegas Strip. He had actually uh, talked to the Sands and there was another place he had talked to before about he, cause because of his injuries and his pain, he didn't like being around a lot of people. He wanted to kind of be isolated and uh, some of the casinos didn't want to accommodate him. He, yeah. he didn't have really have a place to live there, so he wanted to move into a, a hotel room when he first moved there, but some of the casinos didn't want to accommodate him. Uh, but the owner at the time of the of the Desert Inn said, yeah, we'll take you. And he rented out the top floor and the, the floor below that. I think the top floor is the ninth floor and then the 8th floor. He rented out the entire 8th and ninth floor of the whole casino for himself and he moved into the hotel. So, and he was supposed to be, it was like an agreement with a hotel owner. He was going to live there for a month yeah. until he found a place to live. Well, he was kind of, kind of eccentric at the time, and uh, was uh, he wasn't very social and all that, and he kind of liked where he was yeah. in this situation. So he he applied for a few extensions. He was supposed to stay there for a month, but then it turned into two months, and then it turned into three months, and then so finally the owner of the casino said, "Hey, you know you're, we appreciate you being here." but you're you're costing us money because you're taking up all these high roller suites yeah and you're not gambling because you're staying in your your room this whole time um and then but use this is like the ultimate power play move uh so the the casino owner is like you need to leave because I'm losing money because you're taking these rooms and they're like well how much do you just want for the for the casino and the casino at the time, the Desert Inn, was valued at about six million dollars. This is in the early nineteen sixties, and uh, the and the casino owner had mob ties. So, in, and at the time, well, we haven't got to it too much. But at the time, the the IRS and the FBI and the U.S. government was really starting to crack down on the mob ties. Yeah and the, anybody with a mob that had to do with casinos was actually looking to liquidate their assets with the casinos in Vegas because they were trying to get out of the microscope of the the, the government. government, yeah. Well, so the guy that owned the the Desert Inn was like, I'll take $14 million for the Desert Inn. It gave him like this inflated price because and used as like, all right, I'll take it. So instead of getting kicked out and evicted from the from the casino He just bought the place And lived there <laughs> That's so, incredible Yeah So so he just pulled this freaking big dick move And bought the casino, bought the casino. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have my house Yeah have my house So he bought the casino and lived there And uh so then he's like Holy shit I can just buy these places So then So he had uh Howard Hughes had his right hand man And his uh his guy Um Was a prior Secret Service agent and a prior FBI agent. He was like his private security, uh, private uh, public, or private personal assistant. And he said, "Well, shit! I just bought this casino. Let's look. Let's go buy some more shit. I've got three hundred million dollars. I need to spend before the IRS." Charge me takes, on taxes takes
0: my So
1: let's let's start buying real estate Let's start buying casinos So then they he just started buying casinos And buying property And buying all this stuff all over So at one point Howard Hughes Was the largest landowner in Nevada Period He owned thousands of acres In the Las Vegas Valley Plus Several casinos And then so when the uh, Stardust Casino When uh, Wynn came up to yeah. buy it when the Stardust came up for sale, Hughes wanted to buy it, and at the time, he owned so much property in Las Vegas that the the FCC or not the FCC the SCC, the the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission, yeah. denied his request to buy the Stardust because he owned so many hotel rooms in Las Vegas that it would have, if he would have bought the Stardust, it would have created a monopoly that. Howard Hughes had owned; and he would have owned a majority of hotel rooms in Vegas, and it would have caused an antitrust situation. So they denied his bid to own the Stardust. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so he had bought so much property and so many, and he uh, he bought. There was a casino at the time right next to the Desert Inn. It's called the Silver Slipper. Yeah. And uh, the Silver Slipper had this big billboard on top. And it was a big silver high heel shoe like revolving around the... He bought the Silver Slipper casino and hotel because he didn't like the shoe. He said somebody could live in that shoe and spy on him from the shoe. So as soon as he bought the shoe, or the, the casino, the shoe billboard quit spinning and was like shut down and cordoned off because that way he... Because he was kind of... Uh, I'm nervous, Nancy. Nervous and um, uh, kind of paranoid in his later years that he was afraid of people spying on him and different things. That so he he bought stuff just to shut it down. And there was like a running joke uh, that uh, that even Sinatra, like one of the uh, when he was started the show, he always drank the Jack Daniels, yeah. he had a drink in his hand, and he said, "The only reason I'm having a drink of Jack in my hand is because Howard Hughes hasn't bought it yet." <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so he bought all this property land. So one of the things people from uh, that live in and southern Nevada right now, and uh, live in Las Vegas in the Las Vegas Valley, live in the Summerlin community. Yeah. Um, the whole city, basically, is Summerlin. Summerlin is an incorporated city in in the Las Vegas Valley. That's where I live. Is uh. Was named after Howard Hughes's grandmother. Summerland. Was, it was named the the Summerlin community was named after Howard Hughes's grandmother, Jean Summerlin.
0: Oh, okay. So uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, at the time, there's a lot of good golf courses in
1: Summerlin. Yeah. So at the time, Howard uses a, a uh, his long term vision for that area. He was wanting to build a a huge international airport with a community basically encompassing the airport and wanting a global community in yeah. Las Vegas around that and he, he passed away before he could make that a vision. and like his the company that his heirs finished later in on developed the Summerlin community developed uh, some other pro- the Howard Hughes Corporation now yeah. what's known as now was was derived from some of his envisions from that that era. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, he, uh, he had a, because so going back I to, he's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's go pee again. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So red, wine blue, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking two drinks here. Red, wine blue beer. All right. So I'm out to just, I'm getting drunk. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're getting, I'm getting, I'm getting hosed in this yeah. one. Yeah. The, uh, I think Travis is going to spend the night at my house tonight. I'm going to sleep in that recliner when you go to bed. I'm just going to lay out here in the shed and freaking... I'm locking you in.
0: <laughs> Mike call me tomorrow and be like, "Here, where's Travis? I'm like, I don't fucking know He's
1: in the know. shed somewhere. Oh, shit. He's, he's in the shed. How does fuck in there? You lock, lock me in the shed like you taped that guy to the chair. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, man.
0: Uh, uh, okay, uh, so... Uh,
1: as eccentric as he was, uh, they they credit Howard Hughes with actually <clears throat> bringing in or ushering in the corporate area of Las Vegas or the corporate era of Las Vegas. Um, so Howard Hughes, like we were talking about, he was eccentric. He at that time in his life he was in pain, so he was self medicating a lot. He was on opiates, he was on alcohol. He was self medicating to the extreme at the point. Yeah He was also OCD and a germaphobe So he did not want to be around people Period I have a brother like that Well so at the time So when he bought the Desert Inn So this whole incident where like Hey what do you want for it I want 14 million dollars And he bought it Well like well shit Now Howard Hughes owns the Desert Inn And he has to go buy or apply for a gaming license From the Nevada Gaming Commission yeah and at the time, the rule was you have to apply in person before the Nevada Gaming Commission for your gaming license to operate a casino. Right. Well, Howard Hughes is like fuck that shit. I ain't going out in public. Uh, and so at the time, it was uh, McCarran, the uh, the one of the. State senators at the time that McCarran Airport is named after now. Yeah. Uh, was him and some other prominent uh, political figures of the Las Vegas and the Nevada area basically com- uh, campaigned on Hughes's behalf. Like, hey, this guy is a, he has been a prominent figure in the U.S. government, the U.S. military. Uh, the Defense Department at World War Two and all that. He, he is a respectable citizen because part of this thing was the, the appearing before the commission in on, in person was to as a, almost a background check and an yeah. integrity check because they were trying to weed out some of the mob and the mafia titles yeah, and yeah. stuff. And they said, well, it's Howard Hughes, so you can trust him. He doesn't have to appear in permission in, in uh, person. So, they granted him basically a, a, a waiver to apply in person from the Nevada Gaming Commission to get his gaming license yeah. for the Desert Inn. Well, so then, after that, there was other companies that wanted to buy casinos and buy hotels in the, in the Nevada uh, area, in the southern Nevada Las Vegas area, and they used that precedent then that Howard Hughes had set that... Because then it was the majority owner of the company had to apply in person. Well, then they allowed it to where a company representative or just the company in general had to apply for the, the permit, yeah. not just the the owner. the owner. So then that ushered in the area of corporate or conglomerate ownership of these casino resorts in Vegas. And actually, what they think helped usher out the era of the mob ownership because you had these guys that were mafia and mob ties that were owning these casinos, and the and that that led to the mirages and the Bellagios yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. These big mega resorts that were corporate owned versus the personal owned casinos. Yeah, because
0: as as much power and money as the mob had.
1: Yeah. Corporate America is a
0: a, a much bigger machine
1: Well at the time When Howard Hughes came into power In Vegas The FBI uh, The IRS And other government agencies Were really trying to crack down On the mob and mafia ties Because basically The government was out for their cut And the mafia was cutting profit For their income And they weren't paying their taxes Yeah so you know the government they're wanting to get their tax money and that, and that's all it really boiled down to was the mafia wasn't paying their taxes so they were trying to get rid of them so these corporations could come in and pay their taxes. Right, yeah. And the government could get their cut. Yeah. The government was just looking for their cut out of it really is all it was. Shocker. And it and it ushered out the mafia era and it ushered in the corporate area of yeah. the the Bellagios the, and the Mirages. The Steve Wins. And the Steve Wins and the Sheldon Adelson's and the and the all those the Maloofs, yeah, and so now that's where you get some of these big mega resorts now, and really, it all goes, all courtesy of Howard, Howard Hughes, Hume. yeah, and his eccentricness and not wanting to go in public. That's incredible.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know it's funny. Vegas has a whole other side that most people don't even know about. Yeah, and that's the military side of Vegas. It's a huge side. So of it. so. Vegas is is such a big tourist destination and uh, rightfully so but most people don't know this that the Nellis Air Force Base
1: range is the largest military complex on planet Earth well so originally when they first developed the the uh, it wasn't the Nellis at the time it was the Southern Nevada gunnery range or whatever they called it before World War II. Yeah. It was a 60 by 90 nautical mile area. I mean, that's 60 miles by 90 mile area yeah. of uh, open airspace and gunnery range for for pilots to learn how to fly and to, to learn how to, to yeah. uh, operate. So Nell-
0: Nellis Air Force Base opened in 1941 as Las Vegas Army Airfield. Uh, it was renamed Las Vegas Army Air Force Base in 1948 and then Nellis Air Force Base in 1949. And they flew P-51 Mustangs as yeah. their original aircraft. Uh, prior to that it was it was uh, used for training and it was known as the McCarran Field. Uh, it's the home to Red Flag. Yes. Which is the the largest military exercise in the world. It's a NATO exercise. It's housed there.
1: I've participated in it on yes. several times. I'm sure you have. Well, they have they have the red flag now, which is the and then they have gold flag, green, and green flag. flag, and then uh, there's one more. I thought, but I think the other one is the arm, Something with the army with their because uh, the, the army has brings out their air defense system out there, the Patriot missiles and stuff yeah. like that for for air defense system. So you only have air to air training. And systems, but then you have the army with their air to uh, ground to air systems. That no,
0: I I, to, uh, I I had a good time during Red Flag.
1: You know, you know what I
0: used to do in Red Flag? So, uh, ComSec is what they call the cryptographic side of the Air Force, the uh, radio communication security uh, kind of thing. It's basically encrypted voice, is all it is. Um, and I was the ComSec responsible officer for the Strike Air Force Aircraft Maintenance Unit in Las Vegas. Which was cool. Uh, because one of the things that they don't advertise is when you go TDY, nobody wants to do all the paperwork. That was my big job. Yeah. At and uh, all, all these different countries and different squadrons from the U.S. would come over. And nobody wanted to do the paperwork to get their code. Nobody likes to do paperwork. It sucks. The paperwork sucks. So they would come to me. And they would say, hey, man, uh, we're going to fly here this week. What do we have to do to get all these codes? And I would say, (laughs) there's a silver Dodge Ram pickup out in the parking lot. And if there just so happened to be a 24-pack in the back of the truck when I get off work, I would do your codes for the week.
1: That's a, that's a pretty good scam to get going right so there. So
0: all the Australians and the French and the Belgians and the Germans and all of NATO basically <laughs> and the Aussies would would they would come out to participate in Red Flag, and I would charge them. <laughs> I would tell them every day, give me all the planes you want to fly. And I would go down, and I would put the codes in their planes, and they would pay me in beer.
1: That's a good way to do it, right there. It was wonderful.
0: Uh, I'm not going to say it was legal. <laughs> but prosecute me as you may. I tell you what, that's how it is in the Air Force. Let me let and me and guess. The military in worldwide, you hook each other up in ways, and then you you got to pay the piper. L-
1: let me guess, right there. There's the the uh, the. Um, unspoken organization in the military called the e4 mafia the e4 mafia <laughs> that's probably how that got started pretty much uh, yeah. every branch has it and they have their own expertise that they can that they can uh, do and uh it's not stealing it's strategically acquiring tactical <laughs> acquisition yeah. yeah yeah that's right
0: no, it, was, it worked out well for me. Yeah. And uh, everybody got what they wanted <laughs> at the end of the day. Everybody got their codes, everybody got their beer. Yeah, that's right. No, it was nice. Uh, Nellis Air Force Base proper is 14,000 acres. Yeah. Right, which is not small. It's not enormous, but it's not small. Uh, but the, Elf, the Nellis Air Force Range is. The Nellis Air Force Base Range. Is the largest military complex on the
1: face of the earth? It yeah. is four thousand five hundred thirty-one square miles. Yeah, you can go out there and like you, one of those things. If you went out there and got lost, nobody'd ever find you. It's so big. Well, they uh, they completed over a thousand nuclear bomb t- so like you gotta think how big it was, no it was, it was 928 928 so almost I think, a thousand. I think I have it written down here but you got you gotta think how big of a nuclear explosion is and they could 928 I was right and they could uh, detonate a nuclear device on this training area and still not hit a civilian area with it so it's, it's it's actually
0: pretty neat, man. Uh, so the Nellis Nellis Range is 4,531 square miles, but the restricted airspace is over 7,000 square miles. Yeah. Um it encompasses a huge area. Well, and it, it encompasses very important areas such as Creech, yeah, Nellis, Tonopah, and Area 51. Also known as Groom Lake. If you look on a map, uh, Area 51 is uh, known as uh, Homey Airport or Groom Lake. Yeah. Uh, it's administered by Edwards Air Force Base. So. And, uh, it, and I'm not going to say that I've ever been there, but it's a test base, is from what I have read and what I know. It's a test base. Can't say anything about aliens. I'm not aware of any aliens. There's no. twelve of them there. I saw. Them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, guys. Your your guess is as good as mine on that front. But uh, it's a test base. We know that there were. Uh, it's where they tested the initial the initial F 117s So the yeah. the Oxcart A twelve A twelve or seventy ones, the B twos. Uh, any the, any <coughs> test airframe has probably been there. And the, the one of the most important ones is the stealth helicopters used in the Osama Bin
1: Laden. Yes. The, right. uh, the, and those did not even... Okay, so speaking of that, then we'll go down the rabbit hole with that real quick. Uh, I really love... Rabbit holes? Rabbit holes and aviation rabbit holes especially. Mm-hmm. So you talk about Area 51, F-117s, Tonopah, uh the F117s were based out of Tonopah uh Air Force base. I don't, it wasn't an Air Force base it was the, the Tonopah test range. T- Tonopah it's test range. range. Yeah. 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 And it's a, it's a,
0: yeah, it's it's all uh, it's it's a, a US government uh and and depending on where you're at in the area it's either administered by the millet, by the DOD Department of Defense or the DOE Department of Energy. And it's all nuclear testing uh, experimental aircraft. Yeah. The whole range is just owned by different people and different plats. Uh, but the F-117s were tested at Area 51 and they moved to Tonopah test range which is not all that far from it, there. It's like but 20 it, miles. Yeah, It's, it, it's kind of cool because there's a plane that flies out of McCarran every day. The Red Stripe airplanes. Yeah. The Red Stripe airplanes are called the Jenny. Yep. And they fly north to Tonopah and then they take the buses into the interior complex of the test range.
1: Make your mind up where that's going. So, the, the F 117s, it's funny. It's it's, it's kind of neat because I, I've uh, worked with several people through my career that worked on the F 117s during the <coughs> secretive years of yeah. the F 117 the era. And the F 117s weren't even, they were. They were in development since the late 1960s, early 70s, and they were completely denied the existence until the late 1980s, early 90s, until the Panama uh, um, incident, or I don't even know if you call it a war battle. Maybe. Battle uh, was that Escobar, Pablo Escobar, 19. So, and. Uh, and then finally, they were actually just admitted that they even exist. Was in like nineteen eighty nine, and they were all based out of the Tonopah Test Range, and that was their home base yeah. back then. Have
0: you ever seen one in person?
1: Yeah, I've sat in one. They're f- they're freaking crazy. You sat in one? Yeah. But yeah. Seriously? Yeah. So they fuck um, me. Yeah, it, it was pretty neat. It, well, the thing is though, too, like you got to think so the F-117 as cool as it is and as stealthy and what the the whole uh, what do you call it the just the the aura of yeah. it it's 1960s and 70s technology yeah no i know, I know so, but from so I would when I was in tech school, I was doing so. My AFSC, my Air Force Specialty Code, was F sixteen and F one seventeen avionics. It's F one seventeen Nighthawk, the yeah. stealth stealth bomber. They called it at that time, which was a stealth fighter. That was a whole another issue. They 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 couldn't pass the funding for another fighter, so they called it a bomber. Yeah, and or. They couldn't pass funding for a bomber so they called it, call it a fighter. Yeah. fighter, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so during my training when I was learning how to work on these things, they had a they had F-117 there that actually flew in for an air show and since we were training and, and working or learning how to work on them, we actually, they gave us permission to go sit in them and we had to like, which we had our clearances and all that stuff and we had to do our NDAs. But, it was it was F-16 f- was more advanced avionics wise than an f 117 was it middle or, or fly by wire uh, so it was uh it was middle but fly by wire it was weird so really and uh it was they they had like it had like backup flight controls and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. so so it was like an f- like a 15 yeah kind of
0: and no I, cuz i was i was at F-15 A10
1: and F-111 and U-2 guy. Yeah, because like the F-117 actually came before F-16s. F-16s were the first true fly-by-wire aircraft. And uh, yeah. and a lot of the, like the F-18 that came after that for the Navy was based off of that technology. So yeah. like F-18s, full mm-hmm. fly-by-wire. So F-16s, so you had, uh, you had other aircraft that were like hybrids that were fly-by-wire which is versus you know, fly- if those of you don't know, fly by wires. You're flying your controls almost like a PlayStation or joystick controller. It's electronic signals signaling your flight controls to fly the aircraft.
0: Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of cool. The, the initial
1: uh, F-16 controls, um, they they didn't actually move. No, yeah, they Yeah, exactly. They uh, they didn't move at all, and it was just force input Pressure switches. And it was so counterintuitive that they actually had to put in actual movement into the stick yeah. just to accommodate the pilots because the pilots would, would put pressure on the stick and it wouldn't move and yeah. they weren't really accustomed to it because they weren't getting any kind of feedback. So they had to put, make the actual stick move just for pilot input. So that way Yeah, could, which,
0: make, which makes perfect sense if any of you... Have ever flown or uh, worked on airplanes or whatever? I just, I, I gotta agree, man. Like I couldn't handle that. Like that would fuck with my head. Yeah, and that's a good way to cause a crash.
1: Well, it, it, it's crazy because uh, I've on on civilian aircraft. It, it's crazy because that technology has proliferated so. F- much farther now into civilian aircraft. I've I've taxied aircraft, uh, corporate jets before that use fly-by-wire technology, and on the ground you can drive the jet with your thumb. Like yeah, wow. they have, you have your yoke with you got your pitch and roll and yaw and all that, but you have a a little mini PlayStation controller joystick on your yoke, and you can. Control your nose wheel steering. Your, th- your throttle. I'm, I, I, I'm old school, man. I, I like I flew Cessnas. Yeah, and and I like the whole the foot steering, man. It, it's crazy because I yeah I have I have taxied a fifty million dollar jet with my thumb on on with well, you gotta have your throttles though too, but you know. You think, you think you need all these big controls and all that and these movements, but now you're just using a little joystick controller on your... I've on taxied your, a, <laughs> about a
0: $12,000 Cessna.
1: Yeah. and uh, It had a whole shitload of hours on it,
0: and, and it, uh, I did it with my feet. Yeah. And it, and it started with F-16. And then, bro, I took off, and I, <laughs> my ass started getting cold. Oh, yeah. And I realized I'd never shut the door all the way. <laughs> got a draft in here. <laughs> I was like, th- I was like a thousand feet and I was like why is my butt cold oh, like, oh yeah oh shit the door ain't
1: closed. Well, that's what we need to do is uh, do it we need to do an episode uh, like at the airport one of these days or something I'm down yeah
0: I'll show you my plane yeah <laughs> I don't own it I just run out of it a couple so, times
1: so yeah anybody has any suggestions if you want us to do a uh, on location uh, show one of these days you can give us some suggestions
0: oh yeah so back back to Nellis, man. So Nell- Nellis Air Force Base is very important base. Yeah. Uh, not not just because of the uh, tactical aspect of it. It is literally the home of the Air Force fighter pilot. They have Red Flag there. They have WIC, which is Weapons instruct Course. They have they have so many different uh, aspects of of being a fighter pilot, but they also it's the home of Operational Test, which. When I was in uh, my last couple of years, my main job was operational test, which yeah. is uh, it's the home of uh, well, Nellis is called the home of the fighter pilot. It is it's the home of the fighter pilot, and that and that's that's essentially it's 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 the Air Force version of Top Gun.
1: Well, the the, the like you were saying though, the weapons instructor course that is the Air Force equivalent of Top Gun. Because the Air Force will send their top fighter pilots to the... It's the,
0: the we- top 4% of fighter, fighter pilots in the world.
1: And they will send them to this course to learn how to... Basically, you're a, you're a top fighter pilot in your unit. And whatever unit you're in, whatever Air Force base you're at, and they will send you to this course. And you will learn everything you need to learn to go back to your home unit and then teach your fellow pilots how to be a fighter pilot. Basically. The tactics. Yeah. Yeah. But then you go into the
0: test side, and, and that's the thing that not many people know about. Yeah. Um, there's there's squadrons at Nellis that test uh, prototype uh, avionics, um, prototype weapons, things that I can't really get into on the podcast here, but it's, it's just uh, really cool
1: shit that you can sleep safely at night. One of the coolest things um, that I think that was really that... I sat in the cockpit of a MiG twenty nine there at Nellis because there was there was foreign aircraft that the Air Force had obtained somehow, and they were able to they use these foreign adversary aircraft to train against our fighter pilots with
0: tactical acquisition. Yeah. So so that's the thing is Tonopah Test Range is two hundred miles from Las Vegas. And was used uh, for the F one seventeen program initially. Yeah. But is now mostly
1: used to test foreign aircraft. Yeah. That are tactically acquired. Tactically acquired. Um, and that's a whole other podcast we need to get to because there are several different instances in U.S. military history. If you guys want to learn about this stuff, where we have went and just stolen other people's shit. <laughs> Acquired, <laughs> acquired other people's shit, and and brought it back and, and used it. Yeah, and it's great. I love it. A-
0: absolutely. You no know, the the Nevational, the Nevada National Security Site, formerly known as the Nevada Test Site, was opened in 1951. It's 100 miles from Las Vegas, and it is a nuclear research and testing complex. And uh, over the course of nuclear testing in the United States, it's on 928 nuclear tests, and that was a big draw yeah. actually which is which is kind of a, a, a weird thing when you think about it that people on the
1: strip it was a, a thing could, to, to go and see mushroom clouds you could see the atomic test I, I've got a, uh, a there's pictures uh, if you go to Mount Charleston I was just gonna say that yeah. yeah up on Mount Charleston there's a parking lot yeah that
0: there it used to be the thing to go and watch the nuke test
1: you could it was a part of the on the uh, north East side of Mount Charleston, which is just outside of Las Vegas, and you could park and look into the desert. You know, 30 miles the visibility, and you could watch these nuclear tests. Yeah, and that was actually another thing, going back to Howard Hughes and his eccentricness and his pull and his influence with the government and the military during several of those uh, nuclear tests. <coughs> He didn't like the noise and the and the vibrate like these nuclear tests going off could cause earthquakes.
0: Yeah,
1: he didn't like it, and uh, he petitioned the U.S. government to move those tests somewhere else so it didn't vibrate his hotel room very bad. (laughs) Imagine that, your guys like, hey, you don't need to detonate that nuke because it's gonna mess up my hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so. The the U.S. Atomic Agency accommodated him during one test, and they moved it another hundred miles further from Las Vegas than what they normally do. And it really didn't affect the test that much because it still shook Las Vegas, basically what it Jeez. normally does. So they're like, all right, we're just going to go back to our normal place because it's the Doesn't same. Doesn't make a difference. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. make a difference. hundred miles away. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, but Howard Hughes actually got them to to detonated an atomic bomb 100 miles Man, further if away. You
0: got power to move a nuke like you yeah. got, you, you got some, you got some pull.
1: Yeah. So you were you were Mostly a
0: Creech, yeah. Correct, yeah. So Creech is a, is a it, it's an Air Force Base. It used to be called Indian Springs, and when I first got there, it was still Indian Springs. It was the
1: Indian Springs Auxiliary Airfield when yeah. I first got there. Yeah, and it was it was a an armpit of an It first was, Springs. and it was basically a divert base. So like if uh, somebody had a, an emergency, they could land there. So
0: I I got a ride in the F fifteen, and uh, we flew. It was cool. We we flew out from uh, Nellis over Bakersfield, California. Yeah. And we flew up into the Sierra Nevada mountains and we did some cool tricks and shit. And, uh, we flew back over Indian Springs and I actually got to map it yeah. on a, uh, a lantern nav pod. I got to do a, uh, a map. Yeah. A radar map. And I got to do it myself which was pretty That's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty fucking cool, man. I, uh, I I threw up on my flight. My pilot was. It was kind of cool because all my buddies in the Air Force knew me as Oz, right? Yeah. And my last name is Ostermiller, uh, so everybody called me Oz, and uh, my pilot's name was also Oz.
1: Oh, that's cool. Which was which was the dirty. Wizard of
0: Oz. And we we took off from Nellis as, as Duke Two One was our call sign. I still have the. Little sheet that's got yeah. our our flight map and everything, and uh, yeah, on the flight on the way back after I had thrown up, <laughs> he we pulled a lot of G's, man. Oh yeah, and, and you know the thing is, is G's hurt. I don't know if you guys know what G's are. Uh, wherever you are in the world, one G is where you're feeling right now. It's one time the force of gravity, and as you basically pull centrifugal force in an aircraft.
1: Or have you ever been on like a, a roller coaster yeah, or, or a, uh, a carnival uh, ride, ride?
0: Whatever, it's 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 your your g force doubles as your body weight doubles yeah. by the force of gravity. So uh, we we eventually hit seven point four g's was what I maxed out on because we had fuel.
1: Yeah.
0: So we uh, an F-15 can hit nine g's max. We hit seven point four, which it hurt. But it was it was momentary, so it's not all that bad. Like it, it fucks you up for a few seconds, and then it it like releases. But uh, we get five Gs, which which if if you weigh two hundred pounds, which is about what I weighed when I went on this incentive ride, I get a little fatter now. I'm about two two twenty five. <laughs>
1: uh, I wish I was two twenty
0: five. Well, uh, at at, at Five times the force of gravity at yeah. 200 pounds. I weigh a thousand fucking pounds, which you know. Uh, and he kept me this this, Al, Oz, you fucking dick. You kept me in a thousand pound turn for 20 seconds. Oh man, and uh, and the, I threw up. That's where I threw up. Yeah, and I threw up in my little my little baggie. They give you a bag at the start of your ride, little. It's like a dog shit pickup bag. Yeah. Yeah, a little dog shit sack. And I threw up in it, and I tied it closed, and we finished our flight. We flew over Indian Springs, and I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard of it at the time. It wasn't like a popular thing. It never, I'd never made the media. And he was like, do you see that base? I was like, it's, it's Indian Springs. It's a very important base for the future. And I was like, well, whatever, man. Well, then it became the home of the drones. Yeah. And no one had known about it. No one knew what it was. and it. But then it hit huge man and, and it is it's still like the the most important drone base in air force history
1: yeah without a doubt and, and it's like one of those places that nobody knows about too but speaking about the f-15s and stuff like i actually just this last week i was watching a video of uh f-15s doing the mock loop in and uh northern uh the uk so oh, our uk like i know that the uk uh and england the aircraft watching, plane watching, whatever you call it, is a really big pastime there. So, the show, showing the the mock loop uh, demonstrations through the Lake District of the UK, that's pretty neat. Watching the F-16s, and uh, I actually saw a, a flight of C-130s fly through that, doing max turns and stuff. Like you have people sitting on a on a ridge on a mountaintop looking down on c-130s flying through valleys yanking it's and baking f-15s yanking and baking you can see the 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 fog wake off the wings and stuff flying through. it's, it's
0: really cool because uh so an f-15 um they have those very long twin tails yeah and uh it's it's at at some certain aspects of of flight you can see those tails touch
1: yeah, and it will actually create like a spark shower. Yeah. Which is uh just from the flex of the fuselage. It's, it's the incredible. Yeah.
0: It's incredible how far those can move, man. Yeah. It's it's amazing how those planes fly. No, they they're badass. They're badass aircraft. And uh, I don't I don't know if you've ever been anywhere where you are uh, fortunate enough to be high enough to look down on a plane flying. If you ever go up on the Beartooth Plateau, Again in Montana. <laughs> sorry. Uh I, I you gotta bring
1: you back to Montana somehow, I, I, right? I, I do, it's what I do. <laughs> Every <when> I episode. <laughs> sorry, bitches. No,
0: you you, you look down on, on like Cessna's up there flying through the Beartooth Valley and it's, it's fucking amazing. Well see it's it's great here, but I, I could not imagine seeing fighters fly through that. Like it would be such a
1: a treasure to watch that. I I hope that someday I get to witness that. I I don't think it's ever happened. And I I wish I could have done that here. Because, like, so, growing up here, before I even, like, I think it's really what kind of inspired me to join the Air Force. Was here, or not here necessarily, but where I lived growing up. Uh, Not far from here is... Little Rock Air Force Base, which is the home of the uh, C 130 training base for the Air Force, and the C 130s have been in the Air Force since the 1950s. It's been the, the prominent cargo aircraft of the of the Air Force for the last 50 it's years. A, it's a mountain goat. Yeah. Um, where I lived was a major training corridor. It was like 50 miles away from the Little Rock Air Force Base, but the the C one thirties would fly over my house. I grew up on a farm out in rural Arkansas and the C one thirties flew over my house all the time, like on a daily basis. But there was times they would fly over at literal treetop level. Yeah. And oh, we- and uh, they were doing their uh, the uh, combat landings, combat drop training. Yeah. And I mean they would shake pictures off the wall shake you know it it felt like there was earthquake in your house they were flying over so low and so fast yeah and it was incredible because there were some places and sometimes because where our house was growing up was kind of on a a ridge and certain times you could look down and and look parallel or and see the c-130 flying across parallel to your to you or below you yeah like, and like that's a, that's a huge aircraft that's flying through a valley below yeah oh, absolutely and it's uh, it was awe-inspiring especially as a little kid because as a kid you're like man this thing is massive and it, it is so loud had, and so like, powerful I had the G.I. Joe C-130 man nice. I did yeah I had this so I've got this right here is what I got
0: this is. You look at you're pulling out like fucking testosterone
1: testing. This is pickle vodka. <laughs> <laughs> and it's. They said it tastes like pickle juice. And I know you like pickle in your beer, so I got this shit.
0: I don't. I don't know that I like pickle in my beer. Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> they said it tastes just like sour pickle juice. Uh. We, are we doing this? Are we we can or it, it's what you want to do, man. Don't, don't put that evil on me. Don't put that evil on you. Or is are we doing this? Yeah, fuck it. All Give right. Me that thing All right. Up. So here, here, here we go. Just, let's do this. So this can be like part of like a a uh, Tex- uh
0: Texas Craft sour pickle flavored vodka. <laughs> Whoever <laughs> made this shit put their effort in, man. So man.
1: here here we go. I'll put this right here. Texas Craft. You can see that sour pickle flavored vodka. So I, I got this. 50 proof. If, 50 proof. So if, if this God is. i uh, I got this because Zach was talking a while back about he likes pickles in his Coors Light and pickles in his beer. So since he liked pickles, I figured he would like a pickle shot. I don't know. So You
0: figured wrong, sir.
1: Figured wrong. So I'm going to. That looks like neon. That looks like a you just emptied a glow stick out into the into a glass. I don't know. It looks like like we're about to vomit. Oh, it smells like pickles. Fuck okay. it. I really like that. That is salty and vinegary. And dill pickly. That actually just really. I have I taste no alcohol in that. That tastes like a you took a shot of pickle juice. Is what that tastes like. I enjoyed that. That wasn't bad really at all. If you if you like pickles, if you like dill pickles, how about you try some a uh, Texas Craft sour pickle flavored vodka. That really. That was wonderful That tasted like a pickle juice shot Yeah I I enjoyed that I felt like I just
0: took a tug off of my olive bottle
1: Yeah, that was uh, odd Jar Yeah I I loved it I will do that again Huh Wow Yeah That was very good (laughs) For odd considering what we just What we went through for this last episode It was lovely Yeah (laughs) Yeah Uh, hey, give us some some suggestions of what you want us to to do out yeah, here. Yeah, man, I'll, I'll record my ass cooking the steak. I don't care what you want to yeah, see because uh, we're here for you guys. Like you guys drive our channel. Uh, we're here for the subscribers. We're here for the followers. Yeah, and uh, and we're here to do what you what you want to see within limits. I'm not getting naked. I'm
0: um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, everybody, everybody has the their price, price right? Yeah.
0: Literally, like, well, well. I don't know if anybody wants to see this dad bod or not. So <laughs> I do. I know I do. I'll put the hand up. <laughs> now we uh, we we're we're gonna we're we're gonna start fucking around outside of this all. And, yeah. Uh, hopefully, we inter- we entertain you with our stupidity.
1: We appreciate you, subscribers. Uh, we yeah. You guys are you guys are great. You beautiful. We love you being here. We, uh, so you guys that are following us on TikTok already, we are, we appreciate you guys. We need your help. Help us get up to, uh, our follower count of a thousand followers. Uh, so we, we can start doing these, uh, podcast episodes live on TikTok. We, we broadcast these, uh, live. We're available on, on YouTube. We're available on any of the major podcast players pre recorded. But if you guys want to see the, the raw, uncut episodes, <laughs> stupidity, live. Then we need your help. Get us on here so we can uh, show you the behind-the-scenes episodes of uh, we. We call it wittiness. And the, you will not call it the same word. The wittiness, the outtakes, the uh, oh the, shit! What the hell are we talking about? We call <laughs> it. We like to call it the dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Or and we can, you or you can count how many pee breaks we take during a two-hour episode. Not going to lie, guys. I got a little bladder. <laughs> it's, it's like 872. 872. Yeah. That's the number. Yeah. So if there, there's anything you guys want to see, just let us know so we can, we can uh, schedule it and put it on there. And that way we can kind of contribute to what you guys want to see. Because we're here to serve you guys. You guys, our show... Is only possible because of you guys The fans So anything that you guys want to see It, it is our pleasure To, to present to you guys. Hey guys
0: You guys be safe Have a good night Have a driver
1: Whatever Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever <laughs> Love it Oh shit That was good, that was good. I love it That was fun.